Well, there's no black eyes, but she punched me in the ribs. <laughs> so, so anyways, let's, um, let, me, let me begin again by just saying thank you to the church. We did enjoy the, the good meal with Pastor, and praise the Lord for a dark restaurant, because I have an alibi now. Uh, it, was, it was rather dark, which was no problem. Our eyes did adjust. You know, it does remind me, uh, let, me let me just say this. You know Vance Havner, have you ever read behind him? I shared a good quote with one of the brothers earlier this morning. I, I made the quote that he said, man made the city and God made the country, and you can sure tell the difference. And, but he, I was reading behind him in another place, and um, he said that he went into a restaurant one time, and the lights were really dark. He said the restaurant was really dark. And he said, I didn't, couldn't see the menu. And when I first walked in, sat down, he said, but then my eyes began adjusting. And he said, it made me begin thinking you know, that in our churches, things used to be bright and the light used to shine. But down through the years, he said, the devil just little by little turned down the lights. Turned down the lights. It's been so gradual that folks don't even realize it. And now they're sitting in the dark. And uh, so we knew right away as soon as we walked in the restaurant, pastor even said, boy, it's dark. And I thought it, just didn't want to say it. And, uh, but don't. Let the lights go dim, amen, and to keep things burning bright. And I appreciate the church, your, your stand and your desire to reach the world with the gospel, and then your desire to reach your neighbors, uh, to invite a man that's just down in Oregon to come up and present and preach is a blessing to us. And I just wanted to say thank you from my family. Why don't you find First Thessalonians chapter 5 and... Um, uh, Pastor Reno already emphasized it, but I want to emphasize the last verse of that first song that we sang tonight, O Zion Haste. And really, if you would, just take my title from that, that verse. That last verse says, Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. But back up one phrase, that last part. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer, victorious. And that's my thrust tonight, the burden of my heart, is to encourage Berean Baptist Church. Uh, the, the, the actual title across the page says, Did you think to pray? And I could ask you that tonight, did you think to pray? But my, my desire is to call the church to prayer. And, uh, you know, there's three main things I believe about any church that's worth its salt would emphasize in missions, uh, missions time, whether it be a meeting or a month of emphasis is you ought to go, you ought to give, and you ought to pray. And those are three things, even when we don't think we can give, really, you know, we all have something we can give over and above to the work of missions. And then we, we all, in some fashion, can go. Uh, you don't have to, Brother Stendant Blue would say it, you don't have to go across the seas. You don't even have to go across the states, the United States. Just go across the street. Your neighbor needs to hear the gospel. So we all can go in some way, uh, but then the smallest child in this sanctuary tonight uh, can pray. And I, I know they need to be born again, but my little children, my little Emma, she's four years old, and... Um, I said something to Carrie. I said, Carrie, we need to pray for a building, somewhere to meet in. That's our prayer request, preachers, a building. Uh, we were praying for a trailer, and God used you all to answer that prayer, a trailer with some stuff to get started. 
And, but we need to build them. We've been looking and, and been asking and inquiring. And we need a place. And it may not be God's will to give us that right away, but I, I do believe we need a place to meet. And I'm not emphasizing the building. The body, obviously, is the church. Uh, but anyways, help us pray about a place. I said to Carrie, we need to pray for a place, you know. Kind of struck out these first two rounds. And I got a little, you know, how you get, well, you know, what am I doing wrong here or whatever, you know. And I had the mullet grubs or whatever. Because the first two, two times I asked, it just was a flat no, no, you know. And uh, little Emma, she's four years old, and she heard me say that. She bowed her little head and said, Lord, we need a place to meet, you know. And uh, my point is, we can all pray, from the youngest to the oldest, from the strongest to the weakest. So 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 25 is four simple words, uh, but I believe they speak volumes of truth. And four words, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 25 and this really is from a missionary to a local church. He writes and he says, Brethren, pray for us. And you probably saw it on our prayer card and about every other missionary that's come through here. Amen. So let me pray and we'll give you these thoughts tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the good day. And I thank you for the privilege to fellowship with these dear saints, Lord, here. And with, with Pastor Reno for the good meal you gave us. And Lord, then for how they've blessed us by giving us a trailer Lord, with chairs and uh, sound equipment, a pulpit, and so much more, uh, Lord. And, and again, not, not just the things, but Lord, just the fact that they are uh, desirous to partner, Lord, and, and send the gospel to Oregon, to the U.S. of A., and Lord, all around the world. Now, for the next few minutes, Father, we need your help around the things of God and in the Word of God. Would you shed light? upon these words, and make them live in our hearts tonight. And Lord, help us to all see the earnest need to bow our knees and pray, Lord, for your work. And Father, all the money in the world and all the, all the manpower in the world is of no avail if someone's not praying for the work. Lord, help us to be a people that pray, and Lord, know the God to whom we're praying. And Lord, with faith, believing that you'll do what you want to do in our lives and around the world. Thank you for sending your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, to this world to die for our sins, to be buried and to rise again. Lord, that we can have redemption and release from our sins and from the penalty that was upon us. And I pray now in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen <clears throat> and amen. So. Uh, I, mentioned, I mentioned giving, I mentioned going, and I mentioned praying. And you've probably heard it said, but let me say it uh, at the risk of just saying a cliche thing. Uh, the only way to advance or to walk in the Christian life is down on our knees. It's the only way. I, I've learned it in deputation. Uh, you know, it wasn't the love offerings. Thank God for the love offerings. It wasn't the schedule. God taught me that. I shared it with Pastor. You know, we actually started deputation without a schedule. I had a four months worth of a schedule, and then the whole COVID thing happened, and I saw four months, several days, and hours, and probably weeks, a few weeks of phone calls in three days. No, no fault of any pastor. I'm not criticizing anybody there. But in three days, four months of a schedule was down to nothing. I had three meetings left in that four-month period. And the Lord just 
promptly told me I went, you know, went to wine, went to fuss, and I was going to go pray, but I was kind of fussing in my heart. And the Lord said, Ben, you were just trusting in the schedule. You weren't trusting in me. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. And help me to never trust in a schedule. And so I learned real quick uh, that God wanted me to pray and trust Him when this, this matter of deputation. It wasn't in the phone calls. It wasn't in the appointments. It wasn't in the love offerings. It was going to be in the Lord. And if I was going to prove my trust in Him, then I was going to have to depend on Him. And if I was going to depend on Him, then I was going to be what? A person of prayer. You see, prayer is really, in one sense, uh, several things, several ways you could define prayer, but prayer is a declaration of our dependence upon God. When we fail to pray, we say to God in big, bold, black letters, underlined, Lord, I don't need you. I have, as they say, I got this, you know. I've got this. I can handle this. But on the other hand, when we choose to pray, we say in big, bold, black letters, Lord, I need you. I cannot handle this. I need your help. So tonight I want to approach this text just as it is from the uh, angle of, or from the perspective of the missionary who is asking for prayer. That's what it is. It is the prayer request of a missionary named Paul the Apostle under the guiding inspiration of the Holy Ghost, writing to a local church. Four simple words. He says, brethren, pray for us. So let me just give you five thoughts tonight about this. Number one is uh, the simplicity of this request, all right? Again, it should not be this way, and Pastor handled it really good this morning. Um, but if I was to come, and if I, the Lord put it on my heart, then I would have preached on money. <laughs> Amen? If it was right, I could have preached on it. Pastor even mentioned that this morning. But that, that's not my burden tonight. But if it was, hopefully it wouldn't be this way. But in some places, someone would leave and probably misunderstand my message. All that brother wants is our money. I know you've heard it said, all the church wants is my money. They always take up an offering. They're always wanting to give to something or to somebody. But this request, pray for us. You can't misunderstand that. And it, it, not, I don't think it would be that way here, but somebody might even run out and misrepresent the message. Well, that brother Cooley from Tennessee now moved to Oregon. He came up here and he was asking us for money so he can go down there and preach the gospel. Somebody would maybe leave a church and actually take that message and misrepresent that missionary and say, you know, he was asking us for money. He claimed he was going to go here, and, and, and don't misunderstand me. There's been a lot that's no doubt come by, and you've been burned, and perhaps there was reason for some misrepresentation. But when a man comes, when Paul writes and he says, Brethren, I want you to pray for us, there is no way that message, that request can be misunderstood, can be misrepresented. It's just a simple, plain request that everybody understands. I, I understand what that preacher means. He means that he wants me to write his name down and to write his family's name down or to take his prayer card. I don't think Paul had a prayer card, did it? You know, if you, I, I know you've heard the story that if Paul had a prayer card, nobody would you know, invite him to their church for a meeting and support him because he was always in jail. He's always being beat up. And, uh, you know, he was shipwrecked in the sea and things just didn't seem to go right. 
And, uh, you know, so his prayer card wouldn't have got a whole lot of attention. But you take that request and you know what the man means when he says, pray for us. It's just a simple, straightforward, easily understood request. But then is the sincerity of this request. Again, you, you can't misunderstand these words. He's not asking them, and I'm not against it. I mean, even I believe I would be at liberty if I had a financial need. I believe I could share it with this church and not one of you would misunderstand me or run out here and misrepresent me. But I'm not doing that tonight, but Paul is not doing that. He simply says, church, I need, I want you to pray for us. It's a sincere plea from a man. Now look, I'm going to tell you why I think there's, we could run a thousand ways with this, but would you go to Romans 7? Here is why I believe Paul says these four simple words, brethren, pray for us. I'm going to give you two things to consider, and these are the things that God put in my heart. And this is why I, as a, a preacher, would say to this church, would you pray for me and my family? Two things, what we mean by this request. Romans 7, verse 18. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I emphasize the first half of that verse. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing thing. Paul, number one, would say, brethren, I want you to pray for us. Number one, I believe because he knew of the iniquity that resided within him. I mentioned it in Sunday school, but every, every morning I look my face in the mirror, I realize I'm looking at a sinner saved by grace, yes, but a sinner. And within my heart is deceitfulness and a desperate wickedness that apart from the controlling power of the Holy Ghost would ruin me before the morning light. In my flesh dwells no good thing. So there's not one good thing about me when you look at me. That's what Paul said. Obviously, there's a lot of good in us and that comes from God. Thank God for it and for the Holy Ghost that protects us and, and, and preserves us. But Paul would say, I know what I'm made of, and I wish you would pray for me. Because somewhere around the corner, somewhere down in Oregon, I promise you there's a trap set for this preacher, there's a problem set for that family, and the devil would love to destroy me and destroy my family, and the devil has a, a target painted on your pastor's back, he has a target painted on these families, and the devil hates the work of God, he hates the work of missions, and he would do whatever he could do to destroy this church and to destroy my family, and it's no wonder that the mighty missionary that that notable man that we all look up to named Paul would say, brethren, pray for us. I mean, if anybody in the ministry of, of the gospel, humanly speaking, in my estimation, would make it, it would have been Paul. 
without, you understand what I'm saying, without assistance, without prayer, without money, without anything, Paul was going to make it. He was determined. He gave it all up, and he was going for Christ. He suffered starvation. He was in fast, not because he wanted to fast, but because he had to fast sometimes. Deprivation. He was in the shipwreck. He was in the sea. He was cast on an island, and over and over and over, Paul would always overcome by the grace of God, but even this man said, pray for us. Pray for me. Pray for our missionary team. Pray for us. And so he knew about the iniquity. But then 1 Corinthians 2, would you look there, please? I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Not only the iniquity, uh, he, knew, he knew what he was made of, but the, the insufficiency or, or inability. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2. And if, if you look at this passage, verses 14 down through chapter 3, verse 6, I believe it's a missions passage. It gives you really a picture of missions as God sees missions, all right? It's missions in the sight of God. And I won't read all these verses, but basically, wherever and whenever Christ is preached, whether the message is received or rejected, it is a sweet smell, a sweet savor in God's nostrils. It pleases God. And in view of that, look to verse 16. Let's, ask, let's read that question at the end. Paul says, And who is sufficient for these things? I believe Paul looked at the work of missions, the preaching of Christ's gospel, those that would believe and be saved. The missionaries were a savor of life unto life. Those that would not believe, that chose to reject the message, they were yet a savor of death unto death. And Paul said, these are things eternal. These are things weighty and heavy. And I, and yea, who is sufficient? Who has what it takes for these things? He answers the question if you skip down chapter 3 verse 4. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So Paul said, I'm not sufficient. Who is sufficient? No one is sufficient for these things but our sufficiency is of God. So Paul would say, Brethren, I wish you would pray for me. Here's why. Because I know I'm a sinner. And there's a capability in me of getting sideways with God and getting just out of bounds and messing everything up. Pray for me. But then he said, I want you to pray for me because I'm not able. I'm not sufficient. I don't have what it takes I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not wise enough, I'm not versed enough, I'm not skilled enough. I do not have in me what it takes to be what God has called me to be and go where God has called me to go and preach Christ to those that would perish, to those that would reject, to those that would be saved, to those that would believe. He said, my sufficiency is of God. And that's why I believe he said in Thessalonians, I want you to pray for me because I'm not able. And he needed to constantly be reminded that his sufficiency was in God and not in self.
And so that's the simplicity, that's the sincerity of this request. He was an honest, humble man who would admit who he was. I'm a preacher, praise the Lord, but you know what I am? I'm a man just like you. And I have faults and failures and there is in me a heart prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. That constant tug of the old man. Obviously, we need to see him crucified and reckon him dead and yield ourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and yield ourselves, give ourselves to God, find the victory. That's all possible, but guess what happens? One day, there might be a mistake, and then that leads to another mistake. And my point is, we're all flesh, whether we're preacher, pastor, missionary, Sunday school teacher, and so I admit I need your prayers. I have not arrived. And Paul says the same Philippians chapter 3. But but then the setting, the setting of this request, and that's in that first word, brethren. And I want to give an illustration to to emphasize this point. You know, I left my job. I, I, I shared it with Pastor. We only had a few hundred dollars coming in. It was July 2020. My job told me, uh, you can't continue to preach. I'd only been in, in three meetings, you know, in five, four months. And they said, due to COVID, you can't keep preaching except where we tell you you can go. And I called my pastor and I said, I said, preacher, here's what the job said. You know what the Lord's called us to do. And, uh, you know, the men want me to have 20% before I quit my job for the sake of my family. And I want to honor that because you wanted to honor that. He said, listen, Brother Cooley, you just follow God and... Um, he said, I'll talk to the men. It'll be all right. And um, so I called him. We prayed, and I called him that night. I said, Brother, the Lord's giving me peace. I'm turning my notice in tomorrow, and I'll work through the end of the month. And uh, we'll, just, we'll just trust God. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. We preach about it. And I've been preaching it, you know, have faith and trust God. And the Lord made me practice my preaching. And so anyways, word got around. I had kept it close on my job because it was a rumor mill, you know, uh, any given day, there was 4,000 people on an 80-acre reservation. Big old place I worked on, Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And that's a whole other story. But anyways, I kind of kept it close because I didn't want rumors flying, and I didn't want you know just get kind of laid off or whatever before the time came. I wanted to be able to choose when I left, and I didn't know how they would perceive it, how they would take it and respond to it. So anyways... Um, Turned in my notice, and word really got around. You know, Cooley's quitting the plant. He's going out west to start a church. And I went, ended up, they let me keep that meeting. You know, I was kind of going to go anyways and just get forgiveness, so to speak. And, but what happened was they, they would quarantine me. I went those three times, and you'd come. You'd call medical. We had a medical out facility out there. Where'd you go? Well, I went to Ellenwood, Georgia. What'd you do? Well, I went to church and I preached. How many were there? 50. Did they wear masks? No. Did you social distance? Yes. Okay, you're quarantined. And so they quarantined me for two weeks, stuck me in a warehouse with five or six other guys that had went on vacation. I'm thinking, if you're going to quarantine me, leave me at the house, you know. You're putting me around these other guys anyways. So for two weeks, you make sure you don't have any symptoms before you can come back to work. Well, little did I know... While I was in quarantine, my working buddies that I worked with 40-plus hours a week, you know, for, for the last six years, they were spreading the word. And they were going to, you know, have a fun time and throw a retirement party for a 36-year-old uh, guy quitting the job. But they wouldn't let him throw me a retirement party because it was COVID. You know, we couldn't mingle. Anyways, um, so what they did was 
we can't throw him a party, we'll just take up money. And which was really in our favor. And when I left there two and a half weeks later, we had $3,800 cash from, from managers, from iron workers, carpenters, electricians, from laborers, from all over, from secretaries, all, people all over that plant because I got to work in all kind of different places. I was in the sewer plant crew, the steam plant. So we were all over that 80-acre reservation taking care of stuff in all kind of buildings. Got to know a lot of people. And my point is that God, in our beginning, He used... A lot of those folks know the Lord. They're good, saved, born-again people. But a lot of them didn't know the Lord. And even one guy in my shop, he said, Ben, right before I left, the day before I left, he said, you know, I've been thinking, what are you going to do? How are you going to make it? I mean, you told us you've got X amount of dollars coming in. You know we make, you know, about three times that in a week. You know, I was making almost $40 an hour on that job. We made good money. I said, I know it. And he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to trust God. I've been telling you guys for the last three years in this shop that we just need to trust the Lord. Things are getting bad in this country, but we need, to, we need to give our lives to the Lord, trust Him, and just go with God. And I said, you know what? Now I've got to live that. And uh, came back the next day. He said, I've, I've laid awake all night worried about you. And, and this man's not a believer. He's not a Christian. But you know what happened? He, he gave money to my family. But... That's not the picture here. God used people from all over, people that don't even care about going to church, some of them, and they, they gave to help my family. But the setting of this request is the local church. And you know where I, that, that next week we had one meeting scheduled right before I quit. It was up in Indiana. It wasn't even a missions conference. It was a local church jubilee meeting. But you know where we went from there? To another local church. And from there to another local church. And from there to another local church. And so it's not the world funding the work of God. God has chosen in this age to place headquarters for His business in this world right here at Berean Baptist Church. Down in Harriman, Tennessee where, where our sending church is at the Harriman Baptist Tabernacle. Over where Dr. Logan, we talked about Tabernacle Baptist in Greenville, South Carolina. Brother Shiflett, Calvary Baptist in Dundalk, Maryland. They're outside Baltimore. God's business headquarters in this world is the local church. So Paul said, brethren, this is a missionary writing to a local body of believers down in Thessalonica. And you know what he says? Church, I want you to pray for me. So guess what we're doing 2,000 years later? There's a young man from Tennessee who's moved to Oregon who's now in Puyallup, Washington. Amen. And you know what I'm doing? 2,000 years later, the same thing Paul did. I'm looking at God's people who's doing God's work in God's way in this world. And you know what I have to say tonight? Brethren, would you pray for us? We can't make it in Oregon unless you pray for us. Your money might help us get there, but your prayers, I believe, is what's going to keep us there is the prayers of God's people going before us, beside us, beneath us, behind us. Please, would you pray for us? That's the setting. It's not a GoFundMe page, and if somebody's done that, I'm not against them, but it's not a GoFundMe page asking everybody everywhere to fund this. No, it's God's people asking God's people to do God's work 
in God's way. And so uh, we could go to 1 Timothy 2. There's an emphasis on prayer at the local church. I won't do that tonight. But then that next word, he says, brethren, pray. In this word, I, I use this phrase, this is the strength of this request. And, and maybe you haven't forgotten it, but I, I, I have to ask the question, have we forgotten in 2022 of the power of prayer. Do we realize that when we choose to shut off the cell phone, turn off the TVs, you know, just let the computer screen go to sleep or whatever, and just tell the wife, tell the children, tell the husband, you've got to take the kids, honey, because I've got to go pray. I've got to get alone. Have we forgotten what it means to get alone with God, to bow our knees, and when we choose to take time to pray, that we are speaking to the very God who spoke this world into existence? So that when we bow our knees and say, Lord, Father, it takes the frailty of humanity and links it to the very omnipotence of God so that there's a little old boy down in, in Harriman, Tennessee on his knees praying and God's ear perks up. And this just makes for good preaching, so let me say it. God looks over the walls of heaven. And he says, that's one of mine. I believe I'll give him my attention. Or maybe it's a little widow lady up in Washington. And she says, Lord, I don't have a whole lot of money this month. But I sure want to give something to that missionary. Would you help me? And she gives her last $20 cash. And in the next week or maybe the next morning, there's a check in her mailbox from a lady that she went to high school with or whatever the case might be, all because she got down or she sat down and she opened her, she closed her eyes, she opened her mouth and she said, Lord, I need. So the strength of this request is found in this word pray. And here's what it means. It means that when you decide to get alone with God and converse with God and just begin to pray, that the eyes of the Lord and the ears of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ear is open unto their prayer. And I, I, I wonder, and, and many times I even fear that we have forgotten what it really means to pray in 2022. And so that the smallest child and the, the wisest, oldest saint in the sanctuary, you know what, in, in prayer they can be one and the same, if you will. The simplicity, the earnestness of somebody who just says, you know what, the Lord told me to pray. I'm going to take Him at His word, and I'm going to ask Him. And He said, if I'd ask, He'd give. And I, I know there's some context. You've got to keep things in context. But God, you know what He's looking for His people to do tonight? He's looking for us to pray. He's looking for us to ask Him one more time. There, I cannot explain this, and I, I don't even really try to explain it, but there's just something about it. You wake up 2 o'clock in the morning, guess who's on your heart and mind? Missionary. Over there in, in Africa, or maybe over there in Asia. You hadn't heard from them except for their prayer letters. You don't know what's going on. Guess what, you, guess what you're supposed to do at that time? Pray for them. Or ladies, you're at the, at the sink, you're... It, maybe you don't do this anymore. Maybe you're loading them in the dishwasher, right? You're loading those dishes in the dishwasher. 
But all of a sudden, a missionary comes to your mind. And her, the, the wife of that preacher, the mother of that family, she gets on your heart. You know what you need to do? Pray for her. I can't explain the mystery of all this. How that God has chosen to have someone pray on this side of the world for somebody on the other side of the world. And when we begin to pray, God begins to work. And here's what I can say about it. It's ours to intercede, but it's God's to intervene. And I believe with all my heart that at the judgment seat of Christ, lined up long before this little missionary, this little preacher, is going to be so many widows and so many men and so many children that take the time to pray for the coolies. I think of a sister now. She, she lives in Harriman. She's a member of our church. She calls me often. You know what she says every time she calls me? She says, Brother Ben, I pray for you and your family every day. And before God ever lines me up and I pray and I'm striving and trusting and hoping to abide in, in Christ that I'll not be ashamed before Him, but before I would ever hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, she'll hear it. Because she prayed for us. That's the strength of this request. We don't really seem to know just what we're doing or what we can do when we pray. And I'll say it this way and we'll move on. But you know, First Timothy 2, he said, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. And I say it this way often, but you know, prayer should be first of all. Shouldn't be second of all. God forbid it's last of all. And then heaven forbid it's not at all. You know, we were listening to a little story about a doctor and a, a, a sick boy and a mother and a doctor. And in the story, she said, Doctor, I guess all I can do is pray. And I thought, that's the wrong attitude. Um, that's the first thing we should say is we need to pray. And so the strength of this request is pray. The setting of this request is the brethren. But then the last two words, he says, brethren, pray for us, for us. This is the supplication of this request. It's, it's obviously a request for prayer for, for them, for the missionaries, for the team, the companions of Paul. In our text, 1 Thessalonians 5, it's a, a request for prayer in general terms. It's just generally, hey, church, pray for me. You know, pray for us. But now, if you'll flip over to 2 Thessalonians, and I'll close out in this passage, and then over in Hebrews, we'll close out there. But in 2 Thessalonians 3, you find that the same three words, pray for us. I looked up that phrase, and so let's, let's look at two other passages. But here it's prayer, a request for prayer in what I would call special terms. You know, we, we hear a special prayer request. You have a special Request, well, well, Paul gives it, 2 Thessalonians 3, all right, verses 1 and 2 and 3. He says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. So number one, Paul said, in a special way, I want you to pray for our preaching. Pray that the word of the Lord would have free course. That is, pray that God's word would have liberty to work. Uh, there are some places and there are some times that the preacher 
is just, he just bound up. Somebody, if you ever sense that in your pastor, that he's just bound up, he's having a hard time, say, on a Sunday morning, you know what you need to do at that moment? Bow your head and say, Lord, help my preacher. Give the Word of God free course. That it can run up and down these aisles, up and down these rows and these seats and prick the hearts of God's people and sinners alike in a, in a fashion where it's unhindered. Pray for the advancing of God's Word. But then verse 2, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. You know, I've already met a few of those in Oregon. And, and I've met a few in Washington. Not today or anything, you know. But we've been up here before. And, um, but you as a child of God, but your pastor as a preacher, us as a missionary, you know, we all encounter unreasonable and wicked men. For all men, contrary to the world's opinion, all men have not faith. Not everybody has faith, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul would say, I want you to pray for our preaching, but pray for our protection. Uh, we talked about a dear brother uh, over the meal today. He's in a, a dark corner of this world, but uh, they'll put you in prison for preaching the gospel over there. Lock you up, throw away the key, and your wife and children will never hear from you again if they get their way. So there's a lot of people, missionaries, in a lot of places where they really need God's protection. And uh, the preacher said it. We, we went... I don't know, it was about 50,000 miles or whatever that one year. And I know I lost camp, but we spent over $40,000. And we sat in a lot of profits chambers that were free, you know. And we still spent $40,000 in that year of deputation. And I know there was a lot more than that spent because a lot of times the meal was paid for us. That's including the meals we paid for, you know, uh, hotels and stuff we paid for, gas and stuff. Anyways, uh, their protection. But then the last thing, would you go to Hebrews 13? And it doesn't really matter uh, whether Paul wrote this or not, but Paul's the one who wrote Pray for Us in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And so if I slip up and say Paul <laughs> here at Hebrews, just uh, look over that. Amen. But in Hebrews 13, verse 18, the Bible says here, Pray for us. So we're on the same phrase. In general terms, 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. In special terms, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. But here I would call it personal terms. He's very personal in this verse, all right, this writer. Verse 18, he says, Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. You know what I think, what I believe here, and maybe, you know, I, I do, trust me, I do believe there is one interpretation. Not a thousand, it's not up to you and up to me, you know, there's one primary interpretation. There can be a bunch of applications. So I'm not saying, you know, this is what I think, you may see it different. I'm not, I'm not saying it like that. But what I see here is a man being very personal, with these saints. He said, I want you to pray for us. But then here's what he said. We trust we have a good conscience. That is a humble man who says, it's our aim. We trust we have. It is our aim 
to keep a good conscience. We are striving to be right in the sight of God. Would you pray for us? And then he adds, in all things willing to live honestly. And I think a missionary had to write this thing because you would not believe the questions I get about personal matters that I couldn't dare ask you. You know what I'm saying? You'd probably swing across the table. And my point is, it comes from a humble man and it comes from an honest man. In a lot of ways, the missionary just has to live in the glass house, open up the finance book, open it all up, and I get it. I'm not complaining. Trust me, I'm not poor-mouthing anybody. I don't have a bunch of sob stories to tell about a dreaded deputation. We didn't like to travel, brother. You're right. And, hey, we spent two years all during COVID in 45 different states. So I know we caught COVID at least four times. I know the first time was verified, but we were sick, you know, pretty bad four times. And I'm sure everything's COVID, so it had to all be COVID, you know. So my point is, but he says, in all things, we're willing to live honestly. And so all that to say this, and, and this is not a reproof of this church. Uh, you have went above and beyond and proven your love to us, and your testimony precedes you. Our friend that we talked about over the meal months ago, he said, you got to look up my friend, Pastor Bob Reno, when you get to, to Oregon. And uh, praise the Lord, he looked me up before I could even look him up. You know, it worked out, Brother Peel, somehow. And so, uh, but my point is, your testimony precedes you, your reputation. But I said it all to say this. Church, when a missionary comes by and they, they, hand, you, they hand you a prayer card, and on the front of that prayer card it says, Brethren, pray for us. I, I believe you do, but can I say it like this? Would you take that real serious? And would you see it coming from a man, coming from a family who, who knows what they're made of? I think of Elijah Helms. You mentioned Brother Elijah. And we've, we, we've become friends and uh, met him on deputation. And we began talking. But he's a young man that, that strikes me as everything I've preached tonight. He's a humble, honest man who is his aim to have a good conscience and to live honestly. So when the helms come by, I know you will, but when you hear him say, would you pray for us? Take it real serious and take down their name and take their card and some way, sometime, somehow, make sure you pray for them. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to stand and I'll pray and turn the service over to pastor tonight. As we bow our heads for prayer, Father, we love you tonight, and thank you for loving a wretch like me, and I plead the blood of Christ about this time of invitation, and thank you, Lord, for helping us tonight, and Lord, thank you for your precious people here at Berean Baptist Church. I ask you to strengthen them for the days ahead, Lord, in our country, and help us all to blow the gospel trumpet till our Lord Jesus comes again, in Jesus' name. Amen.